You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketer and publicist in the cannabis industry. Today, we welcome Ross Hunsinger. He's the Director of Food and Beverage Innovation at Abstract Hops. In 2023, Abstracts added an official hops division to disrupt the beer industry by introducing cannabis to the formulation. They partnered with the best cultivators and brewers to study their cannabis and hops profiles to create the world's most advanced terpene formulations using botanicals. The consumer trend toward non-alcoholic drinks is causing brewers to figure out where they fit in and how to stay relevant, and it's forcing them to change. The team at Abstracts Hops is stewarding the conversation about how brewers should adopt cannabis into their product lines. Let's welcome Ross Hunsinger to the show. Just start with uh, an overview of Abstract Hops and your role there. And then I also, um, <clears throat> if you could also tell us, I know Abstracts recently um, started the hops division. Um, you know, how that, why that happened, um, what prompted this and, uh, you know, kind of start from there. So yeah, here we go. <laughs> that's a, that's a perfect place to start. Um, okay. yeah, so abstracts is, I like to say we're a, a technology company that creates solutions from the technology that we leverage. Um, we really have developed a world-class analytical pro protocol for both cannabis and hops. And initially that work was all done in cannabis. Um, and I saw the work that Abstracts was doing in cannabis and knew that it was directly applicable to hops. And for manifold reasons, I saw that as a valuable place for us to be. Um, primarily at the time it was viewing things through the lens of scarcity, which actually turns out is not the case in hops, but still has pretty incredible utility. So um, abstracts develop the technology and capacity to recreate flavors, um, specifically cannabis, which is really, really difficult to analyze and recreate realistically without the right analytical capabilities. So developing those analyzing um, the best selections of cannabis from the growers that created those genetics is really how we developed our, our secret sauce, I guess you'd say. Um, mm -hmm. And like I said, I saw that technology being developed and um, the finished product in the cannabis space and was absolutely blown away. And you know, it's important to note I guess, even though Mary Jane Society podcast, we're talking entirely about terpenes. We're talking about entirely botanically derived terpenes um, that are 50 state and worldwide legal um, to be added into vape carts and that sort of thing, which is our, our, the space we occupy still in the market on that side. Um, the jump came when I approached Abstracts. Truly, I think... Tomorrow, 
is my three-year anniversary with abstracts oh, okay um, so uh, three years ago i approached them and said i think what you're doing in cannabis is incredible i think it's directly applicable to hops i can't really explain to you why in an articulate way because i actually came to the realization with a brewing in back background in brewing and subsequently in soda pop and cannabis so as a complete outsider basically i convinced the folks at abstracts to believe the dream and pursue hops and at the time i've said manifold reasons but looking at hops as an agronomic agricultural product with agronomic limitations um looking at the way supply is controlled on the distribution side. It's a lot like proprietary genetics in cannabis. Um, looking at the lack of innovation in processes in hops that could be optimized using cannabis technology and techniques. Um, and, you know, honestly aligning with an industry that has vested interest in participating in the developing vice industry, let's call it. So um, those were all the reasons that we really got into it. And again, leveraging that technology is what got us to where we are now. Um, and that's kind of the longer yeah. elevator pitch story of Abstracts as an organization, how we got into hops. You've been hearing grumblings about you know, beer makers or craft beer makers getting into it, which makes sense, you know, infused beverages, I feel like are really heating up now. I mean, they have been, but I feel like they're kind of really heating up. And that's why I, I really wanted to talk to you because, uh, you know, just to see, you know, where the beer world is coming, merging, you know, with cannabis. So uh, you guys are enhancing the flavors of hops and mixing it with uh, cannabis profiles? Is that kind of what's happening? So we offer flavor solutions that are, so we have like kind of, let's say four flavor buckets, right? We do really, and the first thing we came to market with, because we already had all of the formulas, were all those incredible cannabis flavors that we developed for the vape market, right? And as soon as I came over, I said, there is a space here for brewers who want to capitalize on the zeitgeist of cannabis in the collective consciousness, right? And because of the elimination of the limitations of cannabinoids and alcohol not being able to be sold in the same package legally, right? There and in brewing for years, dank and weedy and all these allusions to cannabis have been made and hops and cannabis are the closest familial relatives in that lineage, right? So it makes sense. So immediately we came in and said, you've been trying to achieve cannabis flavors in your beer to capitalize on this. Here they are. And they're easy to use. They're super high amplitude. They're cost effective. They're legal. They're approved by the TTB. Go with God and create cool stuff. So that was the initial pitch. And we had, we still do have a lot of success with that in the market. It's the only way a brewer can put cannabis flavor in alcohol. Oh, right. <clears throat> right. Without, 
you use the cannabis terpene extract that has no cannabinoids whatsoever. Like we we make beautiful, beautiful cannabis terpene distillations and hemp terpene distillations. You can't put that in beer because it comes from cannabis. So these botanically derived can go not just in beer, but yes, also in functional beverages and recreational market and all the rest. We have a lot of success with you know cannabis flavors and some of the Delta beverages and things that are kind of in the quasi-legal gray space and whatever. And so through the lens of alcohol, what it does is it adds cannabis flavor and effect, right? And in non-alcohol or even rec market infused, it does the same thing it does with the human endocannabinoid system. We always like to say cannabinoids are the gas pedal and the terpenes are the steering wheel. You know, they're what determine your experience with the molecule. So um, they do the same thing in non-alcohol and infused product. And on the alcohol side, it's the only way they can get those flavors into what they're doing. So that is one of the buckets that we serve. So the other bucket that we serve is hop flavors, where we've taken the same approach to analyzing hops, recreating them outside of the plant. It's one product offering in that category. And then the next that's really special for, it's really honestly one of them is the most innovative product to come to brewing and the most innovative model to come to brewing since the introduction of extractions back in the 60s and 70s. So Mm. essentially what we've done is come to the market and being a cannabis person, you'll totally understand this. All of hops extractions, which are made for um, kind of similar reasons to cannabis, right? It's they're more concentrated, they are more potent, they are more, they add efficiency, basically. And in hops and in brewing, when you add any kind of vegetal hop material, it absorbs water, it absorbs liquid, it absorbs the yield of your beer. So the more hops you put in, the more you're paying for hops, and then the more beer you're losing. So it is a it is a compounded loss for a brewer. And what advanced products like concentrates at, offer a brewer is an efficiency in addition to the higher amplitude of flavor and kind of all the rest of it. Um, the complete, the absolute standard and the only thing that exists in the hop industry really is CO2 extracts coming from cannabis, you know that CO2 extracts are inferior to things like solventless rosin extraction or resin presses, hydrocarbon extraction, any of the other myriad means that we've proven in cannabis produce a better aromatic fraction, right? That's what we did is we came to this and said, all of this CO2 definitely serves a function, but it's not representative of what you're putting in and we can do better. And so we're doing that. So in addition to bringing this new technology that was fully birthed and fully proven out in cannabis, right? In addition to bringing that technology to the market, we're offering that processing to brewers, which is something that has never been possible before. It is not in the interest of people who sell hops to offer the capacity to a brewer to buy less hops. So it doesn't work in their favor because we're here to make a better product and 
build something that adds efficiency and puts meat on the bone for a brewer, we kind of work against that model, which is really powerful. And especially in a market we're in now, where you kind of reference to this explosion in alternative beverages, in beyond beers, in the recreational market, it's challenging for brewers to try and figure out where they fit in, how they remain viable, you know, how, how they stay plugged in on trends and things are, it's forcing them to change. And so I think in, in a really global way, it's pretty disruptive and very cool. And it really serves to empower the brewer to make better product. So basically you could provide them with something that tastes like cannabis and hops mixed to like th that flavor profile of the two, because that's what you're working with now. And have studied, like you said, and then it's infused with you know, the cannabinoids and THC. Uh, so sure. it, could, it could be, is that kind of what's where the, where it, it will go or, or people are testing that yet? Like the cannabis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People are testing that water now. And it's funny, like I, the, the really bold breweries are doing there's, and there's only a handful of them, but the smart ones are fully taking their brand from the brewing space where they've made their name and have directly ported it over to the cannabis space. And whether that's, you know, again, non-alcoholic versions of something that have cannabinoids in it, or it's a complete different brand or line extension that just leverage, like Paps is a great example, right? Licensing that brand in the space is brilliant. Um, I do see some doing that and I see the others kind of in the gray space of like the Delta market and stuff kind of mm -hmm. testing that as well, which I think definitely has a future as we continue to work through legislation and stuff. Um, actually I sit on the, the, the board for the cannabis beverage Alliance. So not the board, but I'm on the, the committee, um, and definitely there are like weekly conversations about how that market is growing and who's coming into the space at what level of commitment. I think that will continue to grow. Honestly, the lowest hanging fruit that I'm seeing brewers push out into is just really basic non-alcoholic things or, or seltzers or just things that aren't beer, you know, and it's in, in brewing, in craft brewing, what happened was, um, at the growth of, at the start of the growth of the market and kind of the consciousness of craft brewing or whatever, there were two varieties of hops that became absolutely dominant and they are in a good 80%, 70% of the craft brews that are on the market, right? They have this kind of monolithic dominance almost. And there hasn't been a whole lot of, traction for other things because it just kind of was so right place right time had the right metrics what we're seeing is that it's generational and i think we see this in every market but it's really interesting to see it in beer because it then puts it up against the number of kind of actual hard limitations that we haven't really addressed before but you know these varieties are still very popular very dominant but my 23-year-old sister does not care if her beer is made with these hops, right? She is drinking for flavor. She is drinking for health. 
She is not drinking for health. She is seeking effect from other things that may be more healthful or at least different that haven't been on offer before. Um, and from a flavor trend standpoint, hops are pretty limited in their ability to keep pace with flavor trends because it takes 10 years to stabilize a hop. In cannabis, we have, you know, we can turn on the lights for 18.6 and, you know, cross-pollinate and, you know, literally at the end of three months or whatever, have 40 different varieties of something and then start pheno hunting and the rest of it. Hops grow, hops are harvested once a year. You can't grow them inside. They only grow in really specific regions. Mm -hmm. You know, you, all of these, like, you know, the pollen chucking and stuff that happens in hops is like a glacial pace comparatively. Mm -hmm. So there's no way for hops as, or a hop breeder to be able to keep pace with things like flavor trends, right? Like when we were kids, it was like the, you remember the classic five Jolly Rancher flavors, you know, now there's like, it makes cool. It's like there's lava and there's passion fruit and there's honeydew. <laughs> yeah. So like there's a hard limitation that the, the market. So if you're, if you're the painter and you're trying to paint pictures for the people, there's now a whole section of color that is inaccessible to you that you're just not going to be able to add that dimension or participate, communicate that through your work. So there's a hard limitation there to hops that I think because of A, how we're able to look at the plant and then B, how we're able to break the plant apart is really powerful. And um, that's, I think, again, in a global way, there's a really cool impact that comes from the work we're doing as far as flavor work is concerned. Well, you know, I'm surprised, like, beer is one of the most consumed, you know, alcoholic beverages. Um, you're saying that a lot of these beer companies are kind of stepping in with sodas or seltzers, you know, first. Uh, is it that, the, do you think they're doing that because they don't want to, uh, you know, cut into their market share of their beer or? I'll tell you, cause I, I have direct, so I have a really cool exposure to kind of what I would call like the grassroots and tastemakers and the absolute top end too that are like multinational global organizations. And truly like we're kind of coming up for the multi multinational huge organizations. What we're kind of bumping into is what I spoke about earlier is that, um, they're not yet in alignment with the full value of things that aren't fully legal, right? And, you know, when you look at the market response to, let's just use Bud Light as the best case in point example, that was an absolute catastrophe for Anheuser-Busch as an organization, right? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine Oh. People in Ohio would absolutely flip if Budweiser was non-alcoholic, but it was infused with 100 milligrams of THC. It's just not. It's like so. I'm. I'm literally. I'm. I'm a. I'm, in all humility, I'm a prophet in a strange land, right? Like, I'm, I know there is this crossover there. They know it's there. Everybody knows it's there. So we're really just planting these seeds. Yeah. and stewarding the conversation along. And so I'm trying to find the ways that are, the pathways that are most organic, that are explicable to everyone involved. And I have to say too, like we're, 
an incredibly principled, value-driven company at Abstracts. We, you know, on the cannabis side, we do inhalation studies and toxicology that is absolutely not required by anyone. But we all participate in what we make, and we want to know that what we're doing is safe because we're really pushing boundaries here. Yeah. And so we are in this kind of blue ocean scenario where it's kind of like air traffic controlling, right? Like there's all these planes in orbit and you have to find the pathway for each one to come down in the right succession and not crash into one another and all of those things. So that's kind of the space we occupy right now and are trying to do it in a really organic way that makes sense to us. Okay, I don't know a lot about beer, uh, brewing beer and beer in general. Um, is, is it the hops that, that contains the um, alcohol uh, or is it is it added to the beer? Yeah, so it's 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 very much like making soup. Like if you can make good soup, you can make good beer. So it's a four ingredient soup. It's water and barley, and you basically cook the two together. And you take the water from that barley soap. And if you've ever had grape nuts with sugar, mm -hmm. it tastes almost exactly like that milk. It's sweet and it has kind of a nutty barley flavor. And what happens is the sugar that's in that liquid that happens from soaking those grains, you add yeast to it. And that's that when the yeast eats it, it creates alcohol. Oh, okay. In the case of beer, it burps out CO2, which is what makes it carbonate. So... Mm -hmm. At that point, you have what's called a malt beverage. But in the so after you've in the process of making beer, take that water. It's called wort. You boil that wort and you add hops. And hops are the only flavor contribution outside of that kind of grape nutty wort thing, which goes away from it's sweet. It turns into alcohol, right? And that's the balance of brewing: is like the bitterness from the hops, the sweetness from the wort that kind of alcohol overall balance. So those are the three kind of things you like main things you triangulate from, right? So the hops themselves, so you can, in the case of a non-alcoholic beer, what happens is they generally make a regular beer. It goes through a dealkalization process. There's a couple major ways. The reverse osmosis is like the most popular, doesn't really matter. But it comes off, and through that process, you do lose some of the volatiles from, like, the hops, right? Because they blow off just like they do in cannabis. Um, and you lose some of the contribution that, like, alcohol gives you on the palate and some of the softer esters and stuff. But long short, you take that, and then you have a non-alcohol beer, and you can use as flavor-inert THC or see whatever cannabinoid molecule you want to then power that beverage. So that is the exact process. So as long as it doesn't have, and then again, everything else is dead simple. Things that don't have alcohol, like, um, you know, a seltzer, if you eliminate the alcohol portion, is just a soda water, right? So that then, anything that's non-alcoholic is add a cannabinoid and you have a product. So again, in that space, we are the people providing functionality through terpenes in beverages and stuff. Okay. 
And um, do, you, do you, so as far as just enhancing um, hops and beer, you know, for, for beer makers, um, enhancing their flavors, um, do you believe that terpenes, or are you promoting this to beer makers? Do you believe that terpenes can have an effect just on their own? Or is it not really anything that you're, you're pushing? It's more just the flavor profile. Um, as a matter of fact, we, we know and have proven through our studies, all available on our website, um, have a number of white paper studies on, but we, we know that terpenes influence mood orientation even outside of their pairing with a cannabinoid. So terpenes interact with the human endocannabinoid system, period, without without cannabinoids involved. We developed a range of mood modulation formulas that are targeted at specific mood orientations that were gathered from a really large data set of user submissions of experience with cannabis varieties that we knew the terpene levels of, right? So we take millions of these data points of people's experience with these known cannabis strains and feed them into machine learning and work with it in the lab and uh, do human trials to gather data on their efficacy for each one of these targeted mood functions. And we have five of those um, and definitely are, we, we market those, we're proud of them. I am a skeptic. Um, I have a pretty deep experience with a pretty wide range of chemicals. And I, there are definitely a few of them where I've had an aha moment, where I was kind of surprised. Mm. Um, again, that's not to say everyone is fully functional for me 100% of the time, but that's kind of, again, we're in this space where we're looking at things in a way that people really haven't. Um, and that's the fun of what we do is kind of being the first folks through the door saying, look at this, isn't this interesting? And what more can we learn from this? And particularly again, as that relates to our conversation of market change and consumption habits and health and wellness and all of the consciousness that works directly in favor of that, right? Cause it provides not just the producers of these beverages, but the market with other alternatives to alcohol, which again, we all acknowledge that it has a place and I love hops. I went to school to be a brewer, but I don't drink that much. And I, beer holds a place and is one of my favorite things in the world, but I don't drink beer 99% of the time. I drink coffee or soda water, right? So um, I think everything is changing. I think it's important for us to kind of create and hold space for the things that are most important moving forward. And as we continue to grow as like a whole <laughs> human bacteria, so to speak. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what we're doing. So am I right that you guys are kind of introducing strain-based drinks to the world? I, I feel like strain-based drinks and edibles is the future because people are such connoisseurs of 
cultivars and different strains and love, you know, love all those different things. And I feel like that's going to end up in beverages. Is that kind of what, how you guys are looking at it? Yeah, and, I do. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and again, I think my, my pathway to that has, hey, I'm standing on the shoulders of what Abstracts did as an organization prior to my coming on. And like I said, our cornerstones are these incredible um, outside of the plant recreations of the most iconic strains of cannabis, right? Like um, Jack Hare is definitely one of those, Dan, the family, um, the Sherbinsky's folks, you know, like those are two that I think I, I point to immediately, not just because um, I've actively worked on projects that put those, um, let's say in like the mainstream zeitgeist of alcohol, right? But they have the, as far as like brand goes, they have the best chance of becoming a household name on both sides of the fence, right? And so I, that is absolutely the value that I see in this is kind of being the conduit through which it flows for lack of a better term, right? Yeah, so yeah. one of the, a couple of really good examples or the best example, I guess I can talk about is the Shrebinskis. Um, we connected a collaborative effort with Shrebinskis and Blue Point, which is a, now owned by Tilray, but at the time we're owned by Anheuser-Busch. Um, but absolutely fantastic brewery in New York. Right as New York went legal, we had coordinated a release from Blue Point who, you know, buy their beer at Yankee Stadium, you know, it's a big deal. Um, we had them do a collaborative effort with Sherbinsky's, a gelato release that was strain specific, you know, and that's powerful to be able to go on our side, to be able to go to a conversation with someone like Blue Point and say, this is our friend Sherb. And he says that what we're selling in this bottle that says gelato is gelato in a liquid form for your applications. And that gives this kind of, again, a new, a new conduit through, the, where, through which this dialogue can start to happen. And again, larger organizations can start to evaluate what they see as the long-term and short-term value of their involvement and engagement with this market. So I'm trying to seek really organic pathways to that, right? That's yeah, why that I started this. I said, like, I'm a very good rollicking conversation guy because <laughs> I'm really just trying to land all those planes that are up there. And yeah. Air travel, so. yeah, I never thought about that as far as these award-winning or really well-known strains um, would be a great <clears throat> pathway for them to to work with you guys and, and launch their strains in a beverage format. That's really, that's so cool. So so basically putting the Sherbinsky or the Sherbert together, that's all based on terpenes, the, the profile, right? I mean, because that's the taste. It's, it's yeah. cannabinoids, yeah. yeah. So we, you know, in, in that case, then as an example specifically, we took, I want to say we took something north of 40 different physical samples of plant, of gelato, that we analyzed and recreated that aromatic profile outside of the plant from botanically derived terpenes. And then every one of those 40 then go in front of Sherb to say, which of these is the most representative? And then 
you know, even when we get to the one that you think is right, like we can tweak it further. Like, is it lacking, you know, is it lacking orange or is it lacking gas or what, what do you want from it? And you can tune it. Like you can, it's infinitely tunable on our side. So, and we're also, again, through this analytical power, able to identify and tune things that nobody else has been looking at in, honestly, flavor work in general, but specifically the cannabis flavor work and hops as well. So it's very, very special. Mm. And so is your expertise in the, the sensory science part? or, or it's-, it's, a, it's a really interesting question because it's actually like, it constantly evolves. But as I, like, as I said to you, um, tomorrow is three years. And three years ago, I literally came to Abstracts and said, I have this idea. And I worked on it with the team at Abstracts and ingratiated myself and integrated myself into the program. Got to see how to fly the plane from the inside, right? Um, and they basically let me fly the plane for these purposes, right? It was kind of like getting free studio time or something, right? Like, you know, when there's downtime on the machines, you can use them and talk to whoever you want, develop it out however you want. And so it's really, it was me for about a year and a half, two years. Um, and then brought on a sales manager to help me kind of grow the business. And, you know, now we're up to, uh, I think there's something like 15 people that have dedicated actual allocation of effort in the division. Um, you know, we, we, we picked up, up you know, my, my boss now, so it's kind of rad, but I have a boss now, and he's the former VP of sales and marketing for the oldest, largest top company in the world. Um, you know, 200 plus year old German company that knows absolutely everything about hops, has a lifetime of information that I could not achieve at my age or exposure, right? Um, just this week, we hired the former head of R&D for Sierra Nevada, who was at Sierra Nevada for the last 20 years. Um, you know, we're, we have this incredible team at the core, honestly, that we've developed out and we're adding these really, really authoritative voices to what we're doing. And, you know, like I told you, I, we came into this as a complete, as insurgents, right? And my name has had no value in the brewing space whatsoever. I had gone to school to become a brewer. Um, I'm based in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. When I came out of brewing school, there were so many new breweries that it did not make sense to me to open another one. I didn't feel creatively like I had anything to add to the conversation, though retrospectively, I think I did. <laughs> but I started um, making soda pop instead, and I got pretty successful with that was the sole supplier for salt and straw, which is a relative, pretty successful chain of like fancy pants ice cream. Oh, oh which what's it called? Salt and straw. Oh, okay. In fact, they actually, I just saw the other day that they have partnered with Taco Bell to bring back the Choco Taco. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Actually, I, I, they grew to a point where they they're like they're in Disneyland, so they had to sign an exclusivity deal with Coca Cola, uh, and that I'm 
deeply happy for them. But I had this success as a soda pop guy um, and got into doing work in the cannabis space, formulation type stuff. And as a former brewer kind of guy, soda pop, I started to see this kind of white space. And where it all started for me was making soda was an infinitely more pleasurable experience to me than making beer when I started doing it. And that was kind of why it was a immediate move for me is it was easier, it was more controllable, it was cleaner, it was fun. It was fun. I liked it. And I wondered if there was a world where instead of boiling these hops and, you know, straining the great nut milk off, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, I wonder, you know, again, not that I don't respect tradition. I don't, I know that holds a place. I was like, I wonder how much, how differently you could do it. Right. And like, I've since found that like, you know, right. Like, and what I knew from brewing is like, there have been lots of advancements. You can totally make beer from powdered everything if you wanted to. But specifically, I started to think about hops because they're, an agricultural product and they change every year even if they come from the same place because it's a whole year's weather cycle it's just like wine right like so i wondered what place i had in maybe developing that out and that's really where it all started so um i have functioned as kind of the, my title has been director of food and beverage innovation um that is now tom nielsen from sierra nevada because he's been the director of innovation R&D for the largest craft brewery in the United States. So, you know, I, my, my role continues to evolve. Um, I still occupy a director title for kind of everything outside of hops, right? Kind of our market of recreational or beyond beer, functional beverages. You know, I maintain my involvement with all of the conversations that have kind of gotten us to this point and I function as like our brand ambassador because I'm just always happy to talk about the stuff that we're up to. So, wow, that's that's really amazing. I mean, these these new, um, you know, people that you have coming on and these these partnerships with uh, big beer or beer and these well known um, strains. Um, <clears throat> so, since um, strain based beverages are kinda coming out, maybe more on the West Coast. Um, do you have any uh, knowledge of how people are responding to it? Do, do we know? Is it, is it, you know, are, do you know of any brands that are, are really, uh, who are producing strain-based yet or, and how successful they are? It's really a developing market. And I think one of the, it's really, a, it's weird. It's like an existential thing for, the recreational beverage market to grow. I think we, I think the fact that it's kind of, that it's siloed in dispensaries mm -hmm. automatically precludes a lot of people from wanting to participate in that. And that's fine, right? Like I hold space for that and I acknowledge where those people come from. And I think that actually is maybe the biggest thing that has to change before we really do see that pickup, right? Yeah. What, yeah. That's the stuff that Cannabis Beverage Alliance is working towards, right? It's like working with lobbies, working with the government, trying to figure out like dosing limits. How is this stuff shelved and stored and all of it? And again, like we want this to be successful and we want to be good stewards of what this is developing into. And yeah, just like big alcohol, right? Like there's no incentive for them 
to have kids steal beer and drink and crash cars, right? Like we're trying to go through that process. It's just so nascent right now, right? Like, yeah, like, yeah. Out there. But I'm doing my absolute damnedest to get, <laughs> to get those people in, right? Like I say, I'm, I'm choosing the organic pathways that are available to me to kind of connect those dots. So mm. it's, it is, it's coming. It's coming. It is, it's happening, but again, I'm kind of hard. Strain specific is hard. Um, I would, I would say this in the functional beverage category and specifically folks that kind of approached it very early and with a honestly, truly visionary because they were so far ahead of the curve um, with like cannabinoids and functional beverage and stuff. Day trip is my, is one of my absolute, um, I think they're the clay pigeon, one of the clay pigeons for the industry. And I think right behind them is Little Saints. Um, they're also, they're not, they're not cannabinoid beverages. I think they, uh, I think they both evaluated the value of that market and then saw that the, the value or functional add of those cannabinoids wasn't that great, but they found that the terpenes and all of the other stuff really did function well for them. And it created a delicious product that people liked day trip and little saints absolutely are the clay pigeons for the rest of the industry. There's folks also like recess and, um, you know, kin euphorics is another one out there in the kind of functional space that I think are kind of defining that building brands based around functionality in a completely different way. Um, you know, than alcohol or recreational. And I think that they're, they're kind of like, um, they're the evolutionary middle species, right? That's, that's going to connect those two dots. I think from, from the convergence of those two things, big alcohol, their interests, them wanting to participate and figure it out. And then recreational, you know, I'm a cannabis person, whatever. There's this, there's this new generation that's coming from those two things. And I think like that list I just said are, yeah. are that next wave. And I, I really right. believe that. And, and it makes, it kind of makes more sense from a business perspective that they, they'll introduce the Terp, you know, like Terp based drinks um, to get, to get the general public used to the flavors. And then they can, they can launch it nationally without, you know, having to worry about the, THC uh, and and test the market that way instead of you know being so in a silo in a state silo. So I guess winding it down, um, who who are you working with that's that's introducing your your flavors now and how how is that going? Or um, Heretic just did a a they do an annual release of a highly sought after beer called Evil and Company, and they typically do one version of it is their standard version this year they made three versions that leveraged three of our different solutions for this big time release beer which is very cool um you know in in the market i so belching beaver uh who's out of san diego california have a beer called tropical turps um that actually won gold medal at the GABF, Great American Beer Festival, which is um, pretty incredible for experimental IPA. Um, and then the, there's a brewery out of Bozeman, Montana called Mountains Walking, 
that won silver. It was the highest awarded um, medal, um, the WBC World Brewing Congress. I want to say, maybe I haven't switched, but either way, I took silver from the experimental IPA, which was the highest awarded beer that year. Nobody won gold. They took silver. Very, very impressive. Really? Um, uh, those, those folks are all having success with those brands for sure. Um, again, there's some larger, larger scale national products, which again, like I say, my role is constantly evolving and I should probably have those conversations with people to see what I can and can't talk about. But, mm. um, yeah, like, uh, even in platitudes, like nationwide beer, very large craft brewery dank on the can. Uh, mm. very, very, very cool. Um, so yeah, there's, uh, and there's, again, I think I, there is more that I just can't really talk about. Yeah. Happening. Yeah. No, I, 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 sure. Those, yeah. those are the, those are really big ones. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah. Just, just the fun. fact that they're winning awards. I mean, in a, in a brewery contest, is that like all, all non, you know, just regular oh, beer? Yeah, actually. So it's like, I've, one of our one of our sales guys, and actually, so another incredible addition to our team that we have is a guy named Craig Thomas, and he comes to us from uh, Firestone Walker, and um, I don't know how familiar you are with like sommelier certification or things of that nature, but um, Craig is the is one of so in in beer the equivalent of like Psalm one, like a master sommelier. Is a master cicerone, okay. and Craig is newly minted, but he is one of twenty-eight master cicerones in the world. Craig is a judge for Great American Beer Festival, and I think he said it was something. There's like nine thousand submissions, so there are like nine thousand beers that get broken up these different teams of judges to drink through so like you know i've i've been a spirits judge before and it was honestly one of the most brutal experiences of my life drinking spirits meat for three hours with no food yeah Awful. but i can tell you that like for things to be exceptional when you're getting just fire hosed is really really incredible so truly our first those like mountains walking and belching beaver were our first confirmation that we had something really special at work and that deserved more attention or was at least getting validated out in the marketplace and that sort of stuff. So yeah. again, at every step we're, we just try and achieve really organic growth. That's aggressive and disruptive, but it's organic, right? Like, you know, yeah. we're, we're just seeking to make it better for everyone. And it's really cool that every step of the way we're getting validation from the people using it, the people seeing us apply it, people that are coming to the team. It's, it's really humble. It's very cool. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Well, I feel like that's a great way to end unless I feel like I've missed anything that we want to put out there. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. 
Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at DopeHistory.com.